Welcome to the FMCG podcast. Make sure you're following us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leave us a five-star review. It really helps us out. Enjoy the show. Hi, good morning. My name is Rich and this is the FMCG podcast and we are Consumer Hub. We specialize in recruiting, marketing, innovation and sales professionals across the globe in the FMCG sector and also SaaS sectors. And this podcast is all about speaking to the talent of today within the food and drink sector, hearing their stories, understanding their category insights and also their insights into leadership. Today, we are really excited because we've got Joe Maruzzi of Please on the show. Now, Joe's got a fantastic product. I tried it yesterday. You can see my candid camera reaction on LinkedIn. But today, I'm actually chatting to the founder of this business, getting right into the story of what frozen cheesecakes are all about. And it is going to be a great show. So thank you for joining us for the first episode of the new season of the FMCG podcast. So Joe, just over to you, mate. Tell us a bit about you and your story. Just give anyone listening or watching just that intro into why you're here today and what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Cheers, Rich. Um, so my name's Joe. I'm the founder of Please, formerly known as Please Cakes. Um, my journey started about six and a half years ago now. Uh, I was a painter and decorator, so completely self-taught in the food and beverage industry, but I had a real passion for food, brought, brought up around really good food, love food, foodie at heart, love trying new foods, and I love being creative. So throughout my youth, I was very arty. I liked art. Um, and, and and music and things in that art sort of industry. So food was a real nice combination. And I, uh, look, I, I, I was never really interested in actually baking or, or making food as such, just eating it for a long period of time. But my dad made a cheesecake like early in, in, in 2015 and, and I proceeded to make one. And this, I've told the story like a number of times now over the years and it's quite, it's, it's a, it hopefully inspires other people. That's why I tell it so much because you don't necessarily have to come from a, a background of uh, a professional background, you know, but it's just, it was, it was led by passion, but my dad made a cheesecake one day self-taught as well. And, and I proceeded to make one and over a period of time, these were no baked cheesecakes. So it was very easy entry into the baking world. It was very, you didn't have to be accurate. Whereas you do with the, the actual baking, you have to be very, very accurate. And I started experimenting with, with flavors and flavor combinations and the look and the visuals. And I started bringing them to birthdays and friends and families events and just giving them away for free. So I was essentially losing money here uh, for a number of years, for about two years, from about 2015 to 2017. And I just started getting really good feedback. There was no there was no business ambition there at, at that stage. I was just really, I, I was really humbled by that, that the the feeling people were getting when they, they were eating the product. Although it was completely inefficient, I was I was buying these spring form tins, cake tins, and I couldn't get the metal base off the cheesecake every time. So I'd just give away the tin as well. And it was just <laughs> completely, yeah, completely inefficient as a business model. You have to buy a new tin every single time. So that's by the, yeah, I know. It was, it was an awful business model. And even, even at the start when I launched, it was quite a bad business model because the product itself was a big, large cheesecake in three different sizes. Um, fully loaded with loads of toppings and chocolate bars and fruit and whatever it was. It was very delicate, but very visual, uh, very Instagrammable, but completely unscalable. Can't distribute these products across the country whatsoever. That was our biggest challenge. But anyway, I, I, I set up this Instagram account in, in 2017. I've still got the notepad in my office next door. And I, and, and I started jotting down these notes, this very basic business plan of a, of a cheesecake business, how I would sell... The, the distribution networks, the formats, the social media, no experience, but just putting it down on paper. And it was those those small incremental action-taking moments that kind of had built up to this launch of 
um, designing and designing the logo on Canva, the app, and um, and launching an Instagram account with the intention to sell four or five cakes a month, like just to make a, just a little side hustle on the on the painting and decorating business. And never, never did I imagine that it, it it would turn into what it is today. You know, it hasn't been an easy journey. It's been an incredibly hard journey, but it, it's been so exciting. And 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 it and at times hasn't felt like work. It's always it's because I'm so passionate about it. It's still enjoyable even through the hard times. Um, but we've had in, it, we've done so many incredible things. I don't know how much we can cover in this short period of time that we've got. But look, we've we, we started on a direct to consumer model. And that grew the, the the community. I think we've got a two point one over two point one million followers now in our community, which is insane. It's quite it's it's an incredible community, and I think social media has played a, a pivotal role in in the growth of the company and, and the brand. And it's it's built from that direct consumer. Soon identified that the product was just not scalable. Switched over to try and the focus to try and focus on um, more robust products easily products that are more easy to manufacture distribute um and that kind of led us into d exploring retail and over a number of years over probably the the, the half of the, the lifetime of the company so probably for the last three years three or four three three and a half years we've been trying to get into retail or, or developing the product ready for retail just taking a while so it's not it's not been a, an overnight you know easy win then getting no retail, yeah. there was there was there was a little period of time where uh, with covid which kind of like stood us still for about two years so just before covid we, we were exploring retail and and trying to outsource the production of the of the product and 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 trying to reach out and then it just kind of like went stood still and we couldn't we couldn't really move so we had to just carry on with direct to consumer but direct to consumer for a food product in hindsight is so complex you know it's temperature controlled um which is the the, the hardest thing there's there requires so many other variables to make sure that it gets there at the right temperature in the, in the in one piece dry ice polystyrene boxes it's an expensive process and makes it harder for the consumer to to purchase you know you have to you have to set a minimum order quantity you have to sell three tubs of freeze cakes um at any one time and that's 20 30 quid you know it's, it's not really accessible for the for the masses so retail is the obvious as well as that is it the right shop for occasion you know you catch exactly that you know it's a treat on a friday yeah, exactly that. So we were we were we were missing out on so many so many opportunities to to convert people and buy the product. So direct to consumer, we are thinking about bringing it back in actually, but um, through a fulfillment center where we don't make the product so that it's, it's more efficient and whatnot. But retail was obviously the main focus, and and freeze cakes, the world's first frozen cheesecake, scoopable cheesecake in a tub, is our lead product. You know, we've got a ton of like our MPD pipeline is is incredible and and equally exciting as freeze cakes but it's just focusing on three skews trying to establish the brand in in the market we've done a complete rebrand we've, we've gone from please cakes which is just the, the cheesecakes to to please which is the overarching brand which is going to house all these different concepts and product lines hopefully we want to be multi multi-category multi-sector obviously See, um, and then we did a podcast with ollie's olives like back in the day just when he was getting big and, and then he pivoted to Ollie's and they absolutely exploded. And um, yeah. that is one of my favorite brands that's come through in the last few years. And it's just so on point and it can pivot. And and, and just the, the marketing's brilliant and it's just great. They're brilliant, yeah. I've, I, I've actually worked with them a few times. They've been down here. They've done, done some stuff with them. Yeah, yeah, they've done some, done some stuff. They're, they're a great team. 
Yeah. Um, and like you say, yeah, just the, the, their marketing's really, really good. Great, done a great one with um with the crisps and walkers recently, just starring out the uh the letter L, I think. So it was yeah, really, really clever marketing. I think that's that sort of thing is so important to 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 challenge your brands these days. You need to have your marketing, your your tone of voice, your personality, um, is is so key for brands. You know, having a face to the brand is, is I think is equally as is key as well. You know, brands tend to be quite cold and just corporate. And actually now these challenger brands, there's like these founders and the founders that are actually intertwined in the brand as well. Like you've got Ollie's and you've got the perfect heads and all those sort of companies that like are just you you know the founder as well is really relatable and it's that storytelling piece as well so this story that i tell every time that i do a, a podcast or whatnot is is so valuable to the brand as well and i think that's you you see that now in in so many brands and founders they their story the journey of is 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 so important because there's a few things i want to unpack that are really interesting just on the timeline because um a lot of people have reached out to that say they listen to this who aren't actually in the UK and um, aren't even in food and drink at the moment that they want to get into it. So I think your story is really inspiring because one of the things we want to do with this podcast is not just inspire careers in FMCG that are more kind of, you know, I guess orthodox in terms of the, you know, the shape of them, but we also want to inspire just general kind of success in the industry. So that, that point when you set up yourself, like, do you mind me just asking that? How did you do it? Was it family and friends you raised the funding from? Was it, you know, bootstrapping from savings? Did you get a bank loan? I just love hearing that leverage point where people took the risk on initially like how did you actually leverage going from like paint the decorator with a bit of a side hustle that everyone loves to all right this is this is my thing this isn't my side gig anymore this this is my day job what was the moment for you it was in instant really so i set up this instagram account on the 3rd of january 2 2017 and the 6th something happened obviously something there was a, a moment on the on the 6th of january um where one of my friends joe wicks he's got a big following he he shouted out the page but just to build context around this, because people think, okay, that's brilliant. Like you get exposed to like millions of people and then you've got like, it's just easy from there on. <laughs> I was, I was still, I was, I was still operating in my parents' kitchen where there was like a dog. So I had no health. I couldn't operate out there as, as a business. Number one, I had no supply chain, no recipes. I didn't even have a recipe like structure. It was just like taste test. Oh, that tastes nice. Yeah, that will do. So I had nothing in place, no experience in, in, in like supply chain, packaging, uh, distribution, logistics, anything like that. Nothing, I no, nothing in place at all. So I got this shout out, and I and he, he exposed it to a lot of people, and we we gained a lot of following on Instagram when you could grow quite organically at that time, about five or six years ago. I instantly knew there was there was an opportunity there, so I knew I had to capitalize on that opportunity and build from there. But I had to I had to jump ship basically from the paint and decorator. I had a business partner at the time, Brendan, um, who carried on running the the business, the paint and business a little bit. <clears throat> I literally, it was like this instant transition. I was making these cakes. I found, um, we, we borrowed the kitchen down at Black's Burgers in Epsom, their commercial kitchen, started producing out of there, then soon found a, a, a like a shared kitchen in Croydon, which I operated out for for the first year. So I like things were moving very, very quickly at the start. And I just had to like start just like, just flapping about and just trying to get things done. There was an, another real, real sort of key moment for me was, was, um, Ian Campbell, the ex-production manager of Greg's, was just made redundant. His daughter had seen us on Joe Wicks's social media, and he came on pretty much for the first year as well to help us with health and safety and and production and all that sort of the sort of processes involved, which was invaluable. If you th like think about it, like how could we have found someone so sort of perfect for the role? 
that would come on almost free of charge to help us at that early stage. Um, but in terms of funding the business, like, and and it's and it still is like we're we're food, we're, we're tangible, especially now inflation all that. You need cash, you need money. So at the start, I got myself into a lot of debt on credit cards, about forty thousand percent. A lot went onto credit cards, um, and it, there there was a, like this. The, I was so naive with with the funding side of things and how to really create an efficient business um and won't and and understand that the margin of the product and all that, that there was nothing there was there was no real costing involved for a long probably for the first year like, i didn't really know my gross margin my net profit in that first year i was just kind of like getting the brand out there getting the product out there giving a lot of product away for free just to it was a real building sort of exposing year which in turn is Probably like there's two sides to that. It's probably not the right thing to do as business, um, but it did it did build the business quite quickly. Um, so yeah, got myself into a lot of debt, got myself out of debt. The business grew. It grew through COVID quite quite. The the, the revenue was quite. We were really busy. Um, like, did you have to trade you out of debt? Did you restructure with a loan? Like, what, what what was the how did you like how did you make sure you went from that? Because I'm I've seen a lot of businesses get to that point that we've done podcasts with that have just collapsed because they just haven't got the mechanics, the operations right. And often kind of seen behind that veil, that's interesting to people because that's the challenge. A lot of people are going to have, they're going to have this idea, they're going to be a sales and marketing brain, but they're not an operations person. And, and you've got to be able to nail that as well. Otherwise you just can't scale. Yeah. Well, investment, I was actively looking for investment in the second year. So in 2018, I was I was going out to, to raise money. Right. Um, um, I started I, I started exploring the crowdfunding route at the in in early in, in early 2018. But then I got a call from um, the producer of Dragons Den, and I uh, they said, "Do you want to come on the show?" I I said, "No, I'm not sure about. It. I don't know because look, early stage business again exposed to millions of people in primetime TV is like it could be like suicide. It could be like it could be real real catastrophic for the business, you know. So I decided to do it. I was like. It's one of those things. Let's just let's just give it a go. They, there was this due diligence process. They checked the company out. I, I I filmed in June of that year and it aired in September. And like, I did. I got the offer. I got an offer from Tuka Silliman. Turned that down. Incredible time. Like really, really incredible experience. They they cut it down obviously to like to like ten minutes. But what it did, it gave me sort of this experience of pitching as well. You know, like pitching for money, um, and just. You're throwing yourself into this, this, the unknown, like I've never done this before. Like a year and a half ago, I was on building sites, rubbing down skirtings and like dusting off walls and whatnot and stuff like that. So a completely new experience. And I think that was another real key thing that I promised myself. I was just like, I'm going to do whatever I need to do to build the business. And like being on social media in front of the camera was never natural to me and, no. and pitching and being on TV and doing this morning and all that sort of stuff was just never, it was not a natural thing. And it still really isn't. It's not like my natural comfort zone, but I do it because it it takes me out of the comfort zone. But got the offer. Did, I didn't accept it because it was a pretty rubbish offer. It was fifty thousand pounds for thirty five percent of the of the business. And even then, I knew like that's not the the, the fifty fifty grand is not going to really touch the sides. Yeah, yeah, and 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 I um. And yeah, and 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 thirty five percent of the business was just like no. So politely declined that, and then off the back of that, got some investment from from sort of like local networks, so like friends raised about. I raised about one hundred and sixty grand that year, 
Um, and that kind of kept us going. We moved into this place off the back of this. This was a, it's a 4,000 square foot kitchen. I thought at that stage, again, naivety, I thought, look, I'm going to scale up manufacturing. I'm going to do brand. I'm going to do MPD. I'm going to do everything in a house. And it was just, again, it, it, again, it, it gave us control on the product, gave us agility to, to put out new products and innovation very quickly. And that again, built our community quite quickly as well. Cause we were just like people just interested in what we were doing all the time. But in, in fact, looking back again, I had this, like this, 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 this avenue, these two avenues I could have gone down It's manufacturing or brand building and MPD and like the manufacturing side of things I've got no experience in at all. And it's high risk. You need high investment millions to set up a bigger factory and to enter gain certain accreditations to to service the retailers then it's like a ton of people management as well and training and like there's a lot that goes into like manufacturing so, so like two years in three years in i was like i need to outsource the production so i can focus on building the brand and then focusing on the creative side of things and doing the new product development coming up with the creative ideas for the products like the chuffles and then then trying to find a partner to put that product through freeze cakes then trying to find a product a partner to put that product through you know that was the the the, the easiest or, or lowest risk way of, of scaling the business although the margins we knew were going to come down and be, be become tighter on on that model um it was always going to be the safest for the company to, to to scale so raised 160 grand got here did did a load of production for a couple of years uh through covid and then was actively looking to outsource the production um, which was a hard decision. It was really hard because we scaled up the team. We were at about 30, 30 people in-house with production and with, with logistics and all those sort of things, loads of different departments. And then and then because we've outsourced production, it's it's obviously come back down to just four people now. So yeah, yeah. it's it's been a real growth and then like retraction kind of thing. But then we're still growing at the same time as well. So... I think we found our feet and, and and the kind of model that we want to build off now. It's just a new set of challenges in so, so in retail. I mean, it's fascinating the fact that you've kind of gone through that sort of balloon development, you know, of, of big team, big offices, and then you just kind of scaled down again. As it, um, I mean, it must have been because otherwise you wouldn't have done it. But has that been good for a your sort of bandwidth as an entrepreneur and b your margin? Because that's the killer question, isn't it? You know, do you have the headspace to do what you need to do, and are you making more cash? Um. So. Number one, it helped my mental health really. Yeah. So I, I was it the 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 business was very stressful uh, up until like the start of the end of last year. Really, like I was having I was super I was having panic attacks. I even here I I I thought I was going to die one day. I, I my heart I, I was on the phone to Sam, my director of operations, and I I dropped to the floor. I was like, I'm I'm having a heart attack. I'm nothing going to die. Like, and that was down to stress and panic. It's like the, if you've never had a panic attack, like you think, oh yeah, panic attack, right? Well, you like get a little bit breathy. You feel like if you've never had it before, you feel like you're gonna die. Like oh, you think this is it. Like this, you're gonna. Dan rushed me to the hospital, and l luckily it was just a panic attack. It wasn't a heart attack, but that was brought on by the stress of the business, one hundred percent. And um, you know that 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 having it outsourced now, I don't have the stress of of managing that side of the business production and and, and a ton more people has been a, a, a real weight off my shoulders. In terms of the margin, they've they're 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 obviously at their tightest point now because we're in a couple of retailers, but the the distribution's not at ten thousand distribution points yet. Yeah. It's not across all the retailers. We've only got three SKUs. Two SKUs are in one retailer. Only one of the retailers has got three SKUs. So 
we are in worst case scenario at the moment, but we're still making a mar. We're still making a, a, a margin on the product. So we've got a clear path to improving that and improving profitability. Um, so that, but the thing was, it was get listings, get the product out there, get the get the products into people's mouths, get build that community in retail, get the repeat, and it starts building like that. So, so you could almost like I guess if someone's then you, you kind of basically freed up the brain space, and you can now concentrate on on this is a distribution, sales, and marketing game. I know what the game is, I know what the rules are, and actually, the, almost the pathway's clear, isn't it? Like, I've just got to ramp up that distribution, and I've just got to get the word out about it, please, and that's that's my goal. That's what I zone in on yeah. today. Absolutely, and and actually, like it's it's really encouraging that the launch. We only launched into Waitrose and Co-op um, about 14, 15 weeks ago, three or three or four months ago, um, and it's all been the, all sales have come through pretty much all social organic social media. It turns out my family love your products. I I I started following your Insta yesterday after trying. I was like, this is just mint. And then I was like, oh, I recognise all these people following it. Like it's and they've tried it. It's it's my cousins, mint. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's really encouraging. Like, that shows the strength in our community. You know, uh, we're not like we're not viral like Prime or these 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 like Little Moons or something like that just yet. You know, um, but we've it's been a really encouraging start. And now done a bit of in-store promotion. Like it goes on the promotion, like whatever it is, you have to commit to a certain amount of promotion per year. But now now we're actually going through. This is the time now. We've like we've hit like sat like fixed our base. Yeah. Um, of of sort of our benchmark, and now 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 it's time to fuel the fire, really. So we are going through another round of investment to raise money, and that is really going to try and, and and be focused on on exposing the brand, marketing to new people outside of our social media, because all we do with social media is just hitting the same people every time. We're like, here's our product, buy, 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 and it's actually it's not really effective long term. You need to be reaching more people, you know. Social media now and again, 80, 20, we kind of split. We try and do 80 value, 20 sales. So we're bringing recipes, tutorials, like a bit of value through social media rather than just selling. Um, and now we, yeah, exactly that. And we need to reach people outside of the community now. So we've never really raised a big ticket before. We've, we've raised money, but it hasn't, it's been like a couple of hundred grand here and there. So we are going for a, the biggest ticket we've gone for. And that's going to really like, Give us a nudge, really, really, really help us with um, expanding. Are you pushing crowdfunding, or are you pushing yeah. institutional investment, or VCs? What's that? Yeah, VC, VC, angel, kind of like, yeah, we're going to keep it private this round, um, and 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 that's hopefully going to get us to re really establish the UK market. You know, I think just on that, like, I don't know if you've ever followed the story of Kettlebell Kitchen in Manchester, but that's kind of like almost a case study in an, an entrepreneur getting absolutely screwed over by the investors. I haven't heard that. Look into it like he's a horror show. Okay, yeah. I mean she's done really well now. I think she's she's set up a couple of other businesses with her with her partner and and they've had a baby and it's kind of it's it's kind of a it's a bad story gone good so it's not depressing but uh, oh okay. my gosh that that they, they, they put her through the ringer like how how have you been navigating what can be an absolute shark tank full of you know pirates basically? I have got some good people around me. I've got some really I've got some really so I've got investors already so I've got um. Uh, a couple of investors that have done food before, like yeah. uh, in the food industry, I've got a, a non-exec who's on who's on the board, um, Ollie Horner, who's co-founder of Hippies Snacking Brand. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, I'm working with someone from Unilever, an ex ex ice cream global category manager, right. um, who's helped me with a bit of strategy as well. So, now I've got I've got I've got some I've got a soundboard. I've got some good people around me, and I think that's so so important. Oh, yeah. You know, like. There's so much noise out there, and like you say, there's sharks out there that want to get you. And want to. I've 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 had people try and infiltrate the company a few times now, 
and there've been it's been there's been some moments where I thought, okay, this is actually really quite scary, and, and it, it could have ended the company, and it could have it could have done some really bad things to the company, you know. So it's always so important to have some really really important it's people. Founder, yeah, you want to have that kind of disarmingly honest sort of a window into your journey, but also you've got to have big BS radar, haven't you? Because you know not everyone's out there to tell your journey on, are they? I think I, the one thing that I've learned is just trust no one. Like it's 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 quite a cold, cold sort of sorry, Luke. like, <laughs> but but I think I think you've got to have a healthy level of pa paranoia in yeah. business. You've got to be cautious about everything. And that trust no one thing is like in business, unfortunately, people are out, not out to get you, but if it doesn't benefit them or, they, or if they've got to save themselves, they will, you know, you're, you're not their first, the priority. And I think it is a bit of a, you have to, you have to grow a thick skin. You have to, you have to be resilient. And I think that's one thing that I've, one of my traits, I suppose, is, is that resilience piece is like, just, just keep going, just keep, whatever, whatever happens, even those hard times, I've got this, this you, 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 build up this like you program your brain brain to like just keep going yeah, yeah at any point in in a journey a startup journey it's like a knife edge you know like you got failure one side and you got success the other side and it's so such a fine line and at any point even even big companies but especially especially startups because of the fragility of them and 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 the the, the amount of nurturing they need it's like it's you can fail at any point on any day I think again, just going back to that healthy level of paranoia, always be on 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 your A game, always be on the ball, making sure you're covering all bases. Like, just you need to be on it all the time, kind of thing. And and but like having this balance of parents, your business, haven't you? Just you know, just you do. yeah, it is. Actors, yeah, yeah. So it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a, it's a, it's a yeah. Like you say, it's, it's you humanize it. You have to kind of thing. You have to you have to keep it going. It needs feeding all the time. It needs looking after all the time. If you neglect it, it doesn't doesn't survive. You know. Just on that point, because there's, there's two things that, are, that will be really interesting to, to people listening. So I'll, I'll just, the first one, so the mental health bit, I mean, it's obviously current at the moment now. I, I've noticed there's two trends. You've, you've almost got like some people, they, they take the stoic approach, run through walls, and other people, they want to talk, 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 talk. Now, I think somewhere, wisdom's somewhere in the middle, but like what concrete strategies have you found have helped you like build your head back together? Because I've had a bad time in my head before. It's pretty common when you chat to entrepreneurs, like most people have been through that chapter. And often, sometimes the success of your business comes down to how much you can somehow cope with this release mechanism, with the amount of pressure on you. But also, you've got to have a bit of that pressure, a bit of that fire under your feet, otherwise you don't move it forward. So how have you sort of managed to thread the needle on that? Because it's, it's not easy, it's a balance. Yeah, I think there's a few things. And something that's really helped me is exercise. Just exercise. And I think that's a really, like, um, I've always liked exercise. But as soon as I don't do exercise for a period of time, and I start falling into a few bad habits, eating a bit badly, maybe drinking too much alcohol. You start noticing your your mental health a little bit. It's a, everything's a little bit of a struggle. You got a bit of a fuzzy head. You know, you haven't got that clarity. So I think for me, it's like just having a, a balance, just a balance of every, everything in moderation. Balance, being active, going out walking, going to the gym, eating good nutritious food i mean I, I run a dessert company so it's all about balance i love a dessert i think that's really important to have that balanced approach to life um and when i when i get that right when i'm when i'm on that balance then that nice that happy medium i think i i feel like anything that comes my way anything that's that, that's challenging in business or even outside of business you know just life in general 
I'm more prepared. I, I feel like I'm more prepared mentally for that. So I think that's really important. Really, really important. Yeah. And then, and then the second one, which kind of related to it, kind of builds on it. And you lose it there. So you, you've kind of 2017 to now, is, I think it's like six years in. Obviously, this kind of incredible like, up, down, up, down, up, down journey got to a point where you kind of you, you've got, you know, an advice team around you. You've almost got that inner circle, you know, second round of funding. You've learned a lot of lessons. You know what the focus is. Like, how have you got the balance between allowing people to influence you with their advice, but maintaining control as the founder? Because, again, it's like those two polar extremes where you've got the kind of headstrong, arrogant founder there that knows it all. And then over there, you've got the person that is that questions themselves themselves so much that they just they lose a the control and b the vision like what have you done in some sort of concrete actions to sort of maintain that tricky balance i think over the years i have um it's a bit of a trial and error process you know like genuinely generally i try and go with my gut what i really genuinely feels right i think that's really important you've got you got to trust your instincts in business and because i'm i'm so immersed in the business in the brand in the product like I, i'm what I'm one of the only people that know the business inside out, you know, like I, I know more about the business than anyone else. So it's not like having outside advice is great. Um, but I, I take it with a pinch of salt because I know they don't know everything. And I, as, as, as an example, um, been having conversations around investment and stuff like that. And we, and, and then someone's had one conversation with one person and they're kind of like devalued the business and, and like giving some like sort of negative sentiment around it. And I'm like, okay that's fine i kind of predicted that you've had one conversation with that person um i don't get that I, i'm not i'm not expecting that person to get the business entirely um with one conversation so based on that like it's, i don't take that and be like oh my god that's really negative advice but i'm just like you don't really know the business just yet and that's not being me being protective that's just me being completely immersed in the business and understanding where we're at at this stage and, and understanding the, the the pipeline and the opportunities and and the people that we're speaking to um outside of that one conversation so trusting my gut is really key and then just having a really good like this network of people around you that i've worked with for for, for a number of years now and having that trust with them as well you know when it, it's kind of like a, a everyone's puts their ideas in and it's and then we go okay yeah that that's actually really an, a really important point let's build off that yeah or I don't, I don't really agree with that. How can we then change it to, to, to work this way kind of thing, you know? So I think, yeah, just trust, trust in my gut on that, you know, like, and there's, there's an element of naivety that just help, helps me as well. Like I'm, I'm naive. I don't know really what I'm doing. I'm kind of winging it. I don't, I've got never built a food business before in my life. I've never done social media before I've done this business. There's various things that I've never done before, but I'm just kind of doing, and it's kind of, it's the mind of working a little bit. Like we make a ton of mistakes all the time like nothing's perfect in this business yeah. at all and it and if it was we, we'd be somewhere different maybe or, or or whatever but um it's just just trust to just go with my gut and really being following my passion and, and believing what i'm doing kind of thing so no that, that is really interesting um i told you what i tried to circle back into the products because we always i've just got so interested in the story there kind of missed the product spotlight which you really want to do for people because you need to try this product honestly i'm not just saying that like because it's my podcast and, and Joe's here, but genuinely, I tried it yesterday. It is, there's nothing like it in the market. It's not just another B&Gs. It's not just a, a copycat product. Joe, just tell us, what makes these cheesecakes so good? What flavours have you got? And why do they need to buy some or try some? The freeze cakes. Yes. These are a little tough. Then These are not out yet, but these are, uh, it's, it's frozen cheesecake. It was an idea. So I uh, the idea came about in March of 2017, so three months after launching Please Cakes. And, the way the idea came about was I we were freezing down our big cheesecakes and sending them out. 
And I, I thought I tried one one day when it was frozen. It was like kind of, it was nice. It was like a bit like an ice cream, but like denser, like a cheesecake. And I created these little sort of like choc ices, like cheesecakes, finger things, and I coated them in chocolate. And so the initial concept was like a choc ice cheesecake, you know, that, that sort of like on the go kind of thing. And it kind of got shelled for a number of years because all the other products were going on and we things were scaling or whatever. But in March, or in 2020, when lockdown happened, events cancelled. It gave us a little bit of time to develop the product. And actually, it's a really complex product to develop. You know, it's not it's not just a cheesecake mix in a tub. To make it scoopable is really hard. You know, like I went to, we made it in the house for a year, um, which was obviously a little bit easier, but we didn't really do anything, any any long-term, like, eat, like because it's got a shelf life of, of 18 months or two years, whatever it is. We didn't do it. We, we couldn't do that testing in house. So it was always the, the pro, it was always the focus to outsource the manufacturing side of things. So we went to ice cream manufacturers who could pot it, but they couldn't make the mix. And we went to frozen dessert manufacturers who could make it, but couldn't pot it. But essentially, it is a cheesecake. It is 40% cream cheese um, with inclusions and sauces, sauces in it. This this one it's the first format of about four four different formats for from cheesecakes. cakes. Yeah, yeah. So it's not only gonna be in a tub format, um, which is really exciting. And that was always the always the again, like the the vision of the of the product. Um but yeah, it's denser. It's it's completely different to ice cream. It's not ice cream. We get compared to ice cream. Because it's in an ice cream format, it sits in frozen dessert, the category. Yeah. Which yeah. is yeah. which is where we thought the opportunity was, you know. Frozen dessert is is across the retail is in decline. Like it's an aging demographic, it's an older demographic in those categories. It's the product offering is kind of dated and a little bit like old school Viennetta. Nothing wrong with the Viennetta. Um, it's like jam roly polies, apple strudel. You know, like there's nothing really exciting going on in that category. Um, so we and it's an, yeah, we thought look, there's the opportunity. Let's bring some newness, some innovation into the category. Ice cream. Soft serve especially is about 60, 70% air. So it's very aerated. That's why you get your, that's why you get the volume on it. This is like 15% or something. So you need a bit of air to make it scoopable, but it's much denser. You get more product for your money, basically. Um, and it sits in frozen dessert. So I think if it, I don't, don't think it could sit in ice cream, but it is in an ice cream format. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Ice, it's, uh, no, it's, it's brilliant. It's, I absolutely love trying it. Um, it's just fantastic. The, the, um, of the two flavors, I, I thought I was gonna like it was salted caramel and the lemon and raspberry, isn't it? This flavors. So I thought I was gonna prefer salted caramel, but the lemon and raspberry, um, I just thought was amazing. Like the smell on that when you opened it, I don't know how you nailed it, but I could smell the lemon and the raspberry at the same time. Now normally when you get a dessert or something sweet, which has got fruit flavors, it'll be you know like apple and ginger or whatever it is. You, you can normally smell or taste one thing and then it's just a side taste. But you've absolutely nailed this like double barrel shotgun in your face, like dual flavor action. I just thought I was mint. Like genuinely, like hats off to you. Like the, the, the kind of whoever's done the flavors on that, you know, credit. Well, there were the, there were our three original flavors. They're the three flavors that we launched with the, with a the double chocolate, which you haven't tried. Which I think I said in one of my favorites, yeah. the double chocolate. That. That's yeah, only yeah. that's only stocked in Waitrose though. Um, but look, we've been through to, to 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 scale up as well. This was the next challenge. Was like we went through a very we were, we were making these pots in house here handmade so like a getting the mixing the cheesecake mix in a, in a, in a mixer yeah. putting it into a piping bag piping some cheesecake mix in then hand sprinkling some inclusions hand piping some sauce in, in it like layering it up so you can imagine how 
or how manual that is that's like very time consuming like we the max we could do was our output was about a thousand pots a week yeah. like that was our max output and to scale that up to put it through a completely automated production line was well i think we've been to about four or five hundred samples like just to give some context around how how hard it was to achieve like the, the same quality and and the build-ups and and sources you like ruin your business in your kitchen at the same time yeah that's what that's what i mean and like yeah. you think you look at like ben and jerry's and, and people like that who are like multi-billion dollar companies who have got the the resource and, and capital to just like develop like they do like two or three hundred different flavors a year and they will live down to like four like we haven't got that resource we're a startup challenger brand with four people in the team you know so yeah it's it's, it's exciting but also challenging at the same time so really hard to scale up um yeah. the, the, the the our capabilities are are not limited to this like we're, we're looking at putting bigger inclusions in and more sauce and layering it up again and and the machine is completely bespoke for freeze cakes. So we finally found a manufacturer who, who installed a completely bespoke production line for freeze cakes to manufacture oh, that's this. Exciting, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Exactly that. So entry to like own label now, like I don't know who's going to do it. Someone's going to probably try and do it. We have spoken to a lot of the retailers um, who want the product, our own label. Um, so don't it's, do it. it's interesting. Huh? Don't do it. That's yeah, so I, 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 interesting you say that because I was... we. We were going through a round of investment like last year, or the year before, twenty twenty one, and I was we, we nearly got an investment from Warburton's, the cake company and the, the bread company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I and I went up to meet Jonathan Warburton in London and have, and have meetings. And it was very close. They, they put in an offer, but then one of the cousins didn't pull out, and because they don't operate in the frozen category, they didn't think they could add value. But one thing Jonathan did say to me in that meeting was, "Don't do own label." Just said, "Don't whatever you do, don't do own label." Um, whether that's it's hard because it's attractive for a small business to put volume through and to own the market as well. But for me, it's all about establishing the brand and, and making sure that the brand is one step ahead yeah. of anything. Yeah. Really, so you just it's almost like you've you've just signed on the death knell of becoming a manufacturer, haven't you? Which is fine if that's what you want to do. It makes sense. Mm -hmm. But if if you are that sales and marketing person, you clearly are like. Oh yeah, I'd be I'd be good if I saw you doing private label because I mean, do I, I recruit loads of private label companies and I absolutely love it. Um, it is a fantastic, fascinating marketplace, but it's just a different game, isn't it? It's, and 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 yeah. people people struggle. I, I think the businesses that do both well are a minority. Most people that dominate either do brand or they do private label and they do it very very well. And that squeeze middle, I mean, crikey, trying to do that as a startup would be an absolute head mash, wouldn't it? Mm, it would it would be. Very very challenging and um and like you say what it, it could eat into the brand and it could be it could cannibalize the brand and, and then but i think i think with with us when we we're launching product innovative product mm -hmm. so it's it needs to be led by brand i think i think if own label tried to own innovation what well, they do obviously they do bring out innovation but they 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 come in fads and like yes. small small chunks of time they bring out a bit of innovation it doesn't really stick it doesn't have that stickiness to it um Whereas brand people build up that trust and they they build they buy into the brand not just the innovation, so I think innovation needs to be led by led by brand and I think that's what that's our main focus is to bring innovation to the market. Just a lot last question. I'm very aware of um, eating into your day here, Joe. But that's um, take away Deliveroo, Getty, Quick Commerce, any sort of interesting plans in that area because that is pretty buzzy, isn't it? At the moment, dark kitchens there's a whole new vista of opportunities to explore. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, well, we used to be stocked on on delivery in the, in the addition hubs, and um, we are speaking to a few of them again 
Um, we are also different sectors as well. So we're speaking to uh, food service. So yeah. although we've got the big tub at the moment, we've got some other 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 sort of um, formats to come. But food service is a big one. Like travel, getting these little tubs onto airlines and trains and things like that is really key for us. Um, but yeah, th those sort of platforms are really, really key for us because we can communicate. Like it's a real easy conversion to our community. You know, it's like yeah. click this link, buy it here. And that's something that with retail is a little bit of a harder. That's our challenge at the moment is to get people up off their sofa and into yeah. the store. You know, that's it's a bit more. It's a it's a harder journey for us. So having that that omni channel, that 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 multi that cross channel kind of thing is really key for us. Nice. So oh, that's fantastic. Look, just very 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 last kind of thing then to socials. You're on, please, aren't you here? That's the one. Um, that's the one yes yeah. you so like and on tiktok and tiktok as well so, so and then what, what's he handle on tiktok it's actually please cakes at the moment but it's we're trying to get it swapped over it's taken like about a year to we're still speaking to them but yeah okay. please cakes on on tiktok yeah yeah well look thanks Joe. it's been an absolute blast really enjoyed it thank you so much for just your candor and kind of honesty in your journey it's been really valued by me and i'm sure everybody listening and watching I would appreciate it as well. If you've watched it, if you've enjoyed it, please reach out. Thank Joe for his time. Anyone on this show is doing it just because they want to invest in you. They want to invest in your passion for the sector and your career. So please do thank Joe for all his insights and his honesty and his time. And most importantly, go out there, follow the socials and try Please Cakes. They will not disappoint. They will absolutely make magic for you on your Friday or Saturday evening. Maybe even Thursday. It could be a Thursday treat as well. Just get stuck in and let us know what you think of the product. Thank you very much, Joe. Speak to you soon. Cheers, Rich. Cheers, mate.